Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Through education, motivation, and implementation, we will bridge the gap between knowing and doing so we can master fat loss naturally and help you reach your highest potential. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton. Thank you so much for joining me for part two of our conversation about the insulin index. If you have not listened to episode 394 yet, please start there. Pause this one, come back to it, take a listen to 394 because that is where I introduce the insulin index, what it is, why it matters. And how it's different from things that you might have heard of, like the glycemic index or glycemic load. Today, as promised, we are going to get more tactical and practical talking about specific foods and specific strategies and specific things I want you to keep in mind. But before we do that, just a quick refresher since it has been a couple days since I first introduced this concept in episode 394. So the insulin index of a food basically tells us how much eating that food in a certain amount increases your insulin in the blood for about two hours after that food has been ingested. One limitation of this, and I talked in the last episode about limitations of glycemic index and glycemic load, But one of the limitations of the insulin index is that it is only looking at this two-hour time period. And while that's really helpful for carbohydrates because they are metabolized very quickly, proteins and fats are metabolized more slowly. And so sometimes we see an insulin response several hours after eating fat or protein, and, and that's not captured by this insulin index. But it's, it's like I said with glycemic load and glycemic index, it's very helpful in giving us an understanding so we can make better food choices. It's a little bit more theoretical than practical, but I think it is more practical than glycemic index and glycemic load. In part one, we talked about why it matters, why insulin matters. So that's why it's so important to start there. I've also done a number of detailed episodes on insulin that I will link to in the show notes over on primalpotential.com. In part one, we also talked about factors that drive insulin. The most obvious one is blood sugar, right? Carbohydrates, increased blood sugar, increased blood sugar triggers an insulin response. We know that carbs drive carbs drive insulin, but protein does too. And we talked about how protein drives insulin, but about half as much as carbohydrates do. And we talked about how fiber reduces the insulin response. And we talked about how fat is missing from that equation we looked at because it has the least impact on insulin of all the macronutrients. That's part of the power of a lower carb, higher fat diet. And I don't necessarily mean a ketogenic diet, right? Remember that you can have a lower carb, higher fat diet 
that's not ketogenic and is still very effective in helping you reach your goals. What I want to do for the rest of our time together today is talk about some of the tricky things that can drive an insulin reaction and you might not think so, especially those things that drive an insulin reaction without triggering an increase in blood sugar. And again, why we care about this is because our ability to control insulin is a huge part of our ability to control our body weight and our energy and our hunger, our cravings, our mood, our cellular health. But let's keep in mind as this overarching backdrop that the goal is not zero insulin any more than the goal is zero carbs. Insulin is important. Insulin is a storage hormone that makes sure our cells get the fuel that they need. And when we have this black and white perspective of carbs are bad and insulin is bad, we're really missing the picture. It comes from either a misunderstanding or misinformation or both. Yeah, insulin is produced in response to food, but also in response to any other type of fuel delivery, whether that's breaking down glycogen in your muscles or your liver for energy, it's part of normal metabolism. We need insulin or our cells would starve. So the goal is not zero insulin. And I say that because I want you to have that lingering in the back of your mind as we go through this episode. Your body is in a constant state of managing fuel usage, fuel delivery. Whether you are eating or not, your body is providing itself with fuel and insulin is a part of that. Insulin is not bad. What we're talking about is the gap between a blood sugar response and an insulin response. This is where it gets tricky. And the categories of food that are the two biggest offenders when we look at the research done on the insulin index are protein-rich foods and baked goods. And when I say that they are the biggest offenders, what I mean is these are the two categories where there was the biggest gap between blood sugar response and insulin response. Typically, these things track together The blood sugar response kind of indicates the insulin response. But when we look at protein-rich foods and baked goods, cookies, cakes, etc., there is a big gap and there is more, more of a pronounced insulin reaction than there is a blood sugar reaction. And I'm not telling you this so that you necessarily think protein is bad and avoid it, but because I want you to understand how food impacts your body. For example, I know I'm sensitive to dairy. I know the unique combination of dairy and sugar doesn't agree with me, doesn't help me reach my goals, and creates hormonal chaos. But does that mean that I never have ice cream or that ice cream is bad? No, that's terribly dramatic. It's ice cream. I have it sometimes. But understanding how it makes me feel and what it does in my body helps me make better choices. I'm glad we agree on that. No black and white thinking. We do not have to be militant. We need to be open and understanding, right? I mentioned one formula in the last episode. I want to mention another one loosely here today. It's called the Wilder formula after Dr. Russell Wilder, who initially came up with the term. He's the first one that coined that term ketogenic diet. He was a doctor at the Mayo Clinic way back in the 1920s. And he created a formula that would basically indicate whether or not a diet was ketogenic. Now, this, again, is not to encourage you to follow a ketogenic diet, but to recognize the factors that drive blood sugar and insulin. And the formula, it's basically taking a percentage of fat 
adding a percentage of protein, dividing it by carbohydrate and a percentage of fat and a percentage of protein. That's not as important as understanding, like I did in the previous episode, what we can learn from the formula. And what we can learn is that almost all carbohydrate is glucogenic or converts to glucose, drives up glucose in the blood. Almost all carbohydrate. Roughly half of protein is glucogenic, right? And only about 10% of fat is glucogenic or drives a blood sugar response. Let's talk about a couple specific examples, and there's a chart that I'm going to link to in the show notes. It is the work of Marty Kendall. I will put it in the show notes over on primalpotential.com, and it displays both a food's impact on blood sugar, more specifically, and it displays a food's carbohydrate content as well as its insulin index score. And the insulin index score, just so everybody's on the same page here, was initially established by taking a certain amount of food, specifically 239 calories worth, feeding it to non-diabetic patients, and then measuring their insulin response, all right, over a period of a few hours. This was then compared, just like with glycemic index, to pure sugar or glucose, and then it's given a relative value. So what is the insulin response of this amount of food in relatively healthy individuals or non-diabetic individuals compared to pure sugar, all right? So when we look at the insulin index number, that's what we're looking at. A certain amount was given to non-diabetic patients, and then we measured their insulin response and then compared that measurement to a, a control variable, which was pure sugar. Now, what's interesting to me are the things that have basically no carbohydrate zero essentially, but do impact insulin. Because I think we tend to assume that if there's no carbs, it doesn't drive insulin. But since we know that protein, right, we talked about this in 394, I just said it a couple minutes ago, protein is glucogenic, can increase blood sugar and drive an insulin response, but only about half as much. It's only about half as powerful in doing so as carbohydrate is. So that's what explains these numbers here. Because remember, protein can be used in the process of gluconeogenesis or creating new sugar. So tuna packed in water has zero carbohydrate, but an insulin index of 26. Roasted chicken, zero carbohydrate, but an insulin index score of 17. Steak, zero carbohydrate, but an insulin index score of 37. Remember, this is all compared to the relative value of sugar at 100. White fish, white fish, think like cod or tilapia. Zero carbohydrate, but an insulin index score of 43. Of all the tested foods, that was the highest insulin index score of something with zero carbohydrate. Just to show you the other side, jelly beans, 56 grams of carbs, and the insulin index was 117, so Remembering that pure glucose is sort of the standard, more of a reaction when we're looking at at comparing the same number of calories there. And I'm not telling you this so that you think, oh my God, I can't have steak or I can't have white fish. Really, 
the way I want you thinking about this, the way I think it's helpful to think about this is, you know, many people think, oh, well, it's steak, it's healthy because it's a quote unquote whole food that they can be eaten in unlimited quantities because they are healthy. But as we talked about in the episode with Mark Sisson, was that 388? Gosh, I can't really remember now. But Mark Sisson in that episode quoted Barry Sears and said, every bite of food is a hormonal experience. And it behooves us all to understand what that hormonal experience is. And so if we are thinking, oh, yeah, I mean, it's chicken. So, you know, sure, I can have seconds or thirds or it doesn't matter if I have eight ounces versus three ounces. It does because every bite of food is a hormonal experience. And what we see here is there is a legit hormonal experience when it comes to insulin with some of these proteins, right? Whether or not your blood sugar levels rise in response to proteins is very individual. Now, I think almost everybody is going to have some response, but the response will vary, okay? For everyone, your body has the ability to take protein and turn it into sugar, gluconeogenesis. We all do that. That is a normal part of human functioning. It's not something we should look to eliminate. What we want to do is make sure we're overeating protein, and you can figure out how sensitive you are to this. Just like, um, in Rob Wolf's latest book, Wired to Eat, he talks about taking yourself through the process of different carbohydrates and doing a finger prick to test your blood sugar. You could do the same thing here with protein, but I don't think you necessarily need to. I think we would all benefit from not overeating protein, right? And, you know, when we get hung up on how much protein should I eat, the reality is anytime you're having a serving of protein that's bigger than the palm of your hand, it's probably too much unless you're eating only one or two meals a day, right? Just sort of common sense. When you're combining multiple proteins in a meal, you want to dial it back even more. So a lot of people will have eggs and chicken, but they'll have a fair amount of both. If you're going to have eggs and chicken, maybe you do one egg. Again, unless you're eating one or two meals a day, it is all relative. I'm just giving some generalities here. But you can certainly test your own blood sugar or insulin. Obviously, insulin is a little bit more challenging to test than blood sugar, which is super easy. Um, although they're equally as easy, but it's much easier to get a glucometer and do that really fast at home. But you can figure out what this is for you. But I don't think you need to get that nuanced with it. Just be really mindful of understanding that nothing is free, eating anything when you're not hungry is not a great idea, and protein or anything else is not free, right? It's just not free. So you can find this out for yourself. I don't know that you need to. There's another chart that I'm going to link to over in the show notes of the least insulinogenic foods. And this chart is not just looking at how much carbohydrate the food has. It's also looking at the insulin index and it's looking at the thermic effect of food. And the thermic effect of food is basically how much energy your body uses up in the process of digestion. All right. So looking at that, there is this chart of the least insulinogenic foods and it includes olives, cream, Pecans, pecans, call it whatever you want, macadamia nuts, duck, pork sausage, sesame seeds, sausage, pepperoni, bacon, and mackerel. Now, does that mean those are the only things you should eat? No, because remember, the goal is not insulin zero. 
Insulin is a really, really important hormone that is responsible for delivering and transporting fuel throughout our body. So don't get all black and white on this. Another way to minimize insulin impact, though, beyond food is increasing the amount of time between your meals. So instead of snacking or having a bite of something every couple of hours, maybe you work towards spacing out your meals so that you're going three or four hours between eating. Or you're practicing intermittent fasting, and I've done an episode on intermittent fasting and a couple of episodes on extended fasting, but that is one way as well to improve your insulin response, as is exercise. Working out for sure improves your insulin sensitivity, improves your insulin response. The other factors, though, that are really, really important are stress and sleep. Being overstressed, being not well-rested are going to be factors that mess with insulin. So we can increase blood sugar without even eating when we are stressed out, when we are short on sleep. As far as practical strategies go... First and foremost, out of the gate, limit processed foods. Start small. Pick one improvement you're able and willing to make. You know, I remember years ago, the whole campaign, and I think a lot of people still do it, meatless Mondays. Depending on where you're at, maybe you have processed food-free Monday, right? It's okay to start small. This doesn't have to be a whole hog initiative for you. Maybe you just pick one day of the week where you don't have any processed foods and you gradually make improvements. But if you are somebody who is regularly consuming processed foods, one really important place to start is by dialing that back. Another is not drinking your sugar in the form of juice, in the form of soda, in the form of sweetened coffee drinks, and even alcohol and alcoholic mixers and wines and beers and things like that. Dialing that back. Carb timing. We talk about the golden rules of carbs and fat loss all the time. That is about managing, optimizing your insulin response. Focusing on nutrient density. One of the biggest problems with Anytime somebody tries to go lower carb or on a ketogenic diet is that they don't value nutrient density. They're just looking for fat and they're doing that at the expense of nutrition. Oftentimes, guys, when you're hungry, it's not that your body needs fuel. It's that your body's trying to get your attention to give it nutrition. Value nutrient density. Don't just try and slap on fat and more fat and more fat. Remember that fiber is part of the equation we talked about in 394 that helps to minimize that insulin impact. And it's also a great way to steer ourselves towards nutrient quality because then we're going more towards those non-starchy vegetables, right? One thing that I that I read, uh, there was a meme when I was getting some of this stuff from Marty Kendall's site. It said, if your body is already high fat, All you need is low carb. And I loved that because so many times when people try to dial back on their carbs, eat more whole foods, they're like, how do I get enough fat? You're wearing it. You're wearing it. And that doesn't mean starve yourself, but it means that you don't have to supplement all this fat. You don't have to be putting oil in your coffee. You don't have to add extra butter on your meals. You don't have to make these crazy fat bomb concoctions with cream cheese and stevia. If your body is already high fat, all you need is the low carb. Now, do eat some fat, do eat some protein, but the people I'm speaking to now are the people that are like, how do you possibly eat enough fat? I don't, I'm wearing it, right? 
You don't need to get 2,000 calories a day of fat. You don't. Your body can use the fat that is on your hips or your belly, right? So keep in mind that the food part matters, absolutely, but you can start small. And also keep in mind that you want to emphasize nutrient quality. Keep in mind that the goal is not carbohydrate zero or insulin zero. Because with carbohydrates, you want those vegetables. You need those vitamins, those minerals, those phytonutrients, and that fiber. And with insulin, it is a critical and important and necessary hormone that keeps us healthy. So let's take all of this information and really use it to help us make better choices about the quality of the food we eat, but also the quantity of the food we eat. Because that steak you're having, yes, it's healthy, but you don't need the one the size of your face because it will drive that insulin response. And the more you eat of it, the more it will drive it. So keep all of those things in mind. I want to wrap up by thanking you guys for all of your support in the Fat Loss Fast Track launch. It is officially closed. We kick off on Sunday, October the 1st, and there is a wait list up for 2018. The group will start sometime in January, and you can get on the wait list at primalpotential.com forward slash wait18. Wait 18 because it's going to be 2018, which is insane. But the wait list for the winter fat loss fast track starting in January is up now. Primalpotential.com forward slash wait 18. Talk to you guys soon. Have a great day. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Primal Potential Podcast, where my goal is not to inform you, but to transform you. And if you would like to receive free motivation and strategy and recipes, workouts, meal ideas every week right to your inbox, just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. It's a great way to get the tools, the strategies, and the practical implementation assistance that you need to create your own transformation between podcast episodes. Just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. See you there.